Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. All right, so Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out their sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed." Good. Thank you, Hayden. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna keep going in Acts chapter 5. We're going to go past uh, verse uh, 16 there, but, but I just had him read that portion, okay? Here's what we're going to do a lot of today. We're going to recap where we have been up to this point because I think where we have been answers some questions about what he just read, okay, about what is going on in this scene. But what I'm going to ask you to do during this recap, I need you to do some math with me. So just go with me, uh, get, your, get your internal calculators out, and do some math with me. Chapter 1 of Acts started with risen King Jesus, and he promises his Holy Spirit, if you remember that, and he said there's going to be power, you're going to to receive power, and you're going to be able to be my witnesses because of this power that you receive, and then Jesus ascends into heaven, where he sits at the right hand of the Father. At that point, there was 120 of them. We get to chapter 2, 50 days after this, where we have Pentecost. And we talked about Pentecost. This is when the Holy Spirit came. And Peter preaches the gospel. And then we have 3,000 souls added. And it says even in chapter 2, it talks about many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So we went 120, then 3,000, then at the end of chapter 2 and verse 47, it said, And the Lord added to their number day by day. I don't know how many he added. I don't know how many days that he added. I just know that he added. And we also can know at this point that there was some kind of supernatural authority under which this new group of people was living. And it takes us then, it took us then to Acts chapter 3. Now you need to know this about Acts chapter 3, 4, and 5. I would challenge you to go read it. It's one big narrative. From the beginning of 3 to the end of 5 is one continuous narrative. It's how Luke did it. He did it for a reason. But he started in chapter 3 with this lame beggar. He comes to this gate outside the temple like he had done every day with his cup, hoping that this cup would be filled with something. And he left that day with way more than he ever could have imagined or expected. He was a man 40 years old who has never taken a step in his life. And that day, he was jumping and he was running and he was praising. And he not only got the ability to walk, he received eternal life. So Peter follows this healing up by yet another preaching of the gospel. 
And in chapter 4 it says, as they were speaking. So it wasn't just Peter. Peter and the apostles, they were preaching the gospel. As they were speaking, the beginning of chapter 4 tells us that these bigwigs in charge come and snatch them up. They did not like it. The problem is they did not do it fast enough because before they grabbed them and stopped their preaching, 5,000 people believed. So they're snatched up and in verse 7 it says, By what power or by what name do you do this? We just sang about a name, didn't we? By what power, what name do you do this? What's this that they were talking about there in verse 7, chapter 4? This miracle and preaching the gospel. And in other words, when they said by what power or what name, they were asking by what authority do you do this? And they answered him. It's like, hey, it's Jesus Christ, right? And then then they go on in chapter 4 and verse 12. So there's no other name. Here we go with that name again. There's no other name, no other authority, in other words, under heaven by which we must be saved. That's what is preached to the bigwigs in charge. And the bigwigs didn't like it, so they threatened them. Quit doing this or else. What's funny is after they were threatened, they, they go back to their friends. If you remember the end of chapter 4, because you, you, you do need to remember this. They go back to their friends and they report all that had been done to them and they were like through a party. And they started praying and singing and worshiping. Specifically, one of the things they prayed for was more boldness. So here in chapter 4, at the end, verse 32 through 37, you see this, this sort of unique community. And it says it was this community that was full in number of those who had believed. So let's just recap our math. We started with 120, we went to 3,000, then we went to this day by day adding plus another 5,000. That's a lot of people. That's a movement. And it says in chapter 4, they were of one heart and soul. They had everything in common. And they were selling their stuff and sharing it. And that takes us then, or took us into chapter 5, which is what Daniel uh, taught us last week. And you had Ananias and Sapphira. Right, Because all these people, they were taking their stuff and they were selling it. And Ananias and Sapphira liked what they saw and they wanted in on that action. But the action they wanted in on is they wanted people to look at them and think they were awesome. So they faked it. And they lied to the Holy Spirit. And if you remember last week, if you weren't here last week, and you haven't read Acts chapter 5, I'm going to spoil it, they dropped dead in front of everybody. Now that's weird. That's just weird. So you got this, this crazy thing going on. Bunch of people following Jesus. And, I, and like when, when the Bible's like, hey, they were added. Okay, listen, these are like people genuinely passing from death to life added. This isn't like, hey, there's a cool new thing going on at the theater on the other side of town, so I'm going to leave my church to go to that one. Like, there wasn't like a synagogue in a different city. Like, hey, that synagogue's got way better music. I'm going there. Like, people coming out of the darkness into the light. That's what we're talking about here. Genuine. 
believing. What is going on here? How is this happening? And it's this, it's this name, or this, this new authority under which these people were living. Now here's what's crazy about this. As we get into Acts chapter 5, and we're, and we're going we're to do a minor recap still uh, of last week, but here, here's what I think, okay? If somebody dropped dead in here, okay, if two people dropped dead in here today, okay, I have a feeling there will be a lot fewer of you here next week. It's fair? Okay, I'm probably not coming. And here, here you had two people drop dead. Ananias and Sapphira. And look what it says. In chapter 5, verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. What's the highest number that we've heard so far in Acts, right? 5,000. Two people drop dead. More than ever. Which means this, either 5,001 or more. That's crazy. What is going on here? It's this new authority. What is the result of living under this new authority? I want to look at some things here that we see in this new church in Acts. And I think that we need to look at it as a church in 2020 as well. They were living under this new authority. And here's what that meant. Number one. They took sin seriously. Number two, they relied on the power of the spirit of this new authority. In other words, the Holy Spirit. And then something we'll see at the end of today, which I mentioned it earlier, is you had a group of people that were truly on mission. They had a new call of God on their life. And they surrounded themselves with a community of like-minded people. And that's actually the only way that you'll ever be able to persevere if you're on mission for God is being a community of people who are doing the same. So let's look at this. Number one, they took sin seriously. Uh, and so should we. Amen. See, why should we take sin seriously? Because we know the reality of sin, right? Sin drains us. See, sin takes away from us. Now, it might give to us just for a moment, but eventually it takes from us. Sin kills us. Sin destroys us. Does that sound like something that we should take seriously? Anybody watch the news lately? Hopefully not too much, but even if you accidentally walk by, you hear about this thing going on called like a, a coronavirus. Okay, people are freaking out, and I'm glad they are. They're taking it seriously. You know why? Because it's killing people, and they are taking it seriously. Now, before we go further, let me point this out, because I, I want you to know where I am, okay? Listen, this theater... Is full of sinners right now. Okay, listen. Most of us, by most of us, meaning 100% of us, 
have sinned, like today probably, and if not today, I would, I would not go further than the past 24 hours. Whether it be blatantly or in our thoughts, I don't, we, listen, we are sinners. So the point is not to say we all should be dropping dead. It's just to point out we are sinners. But we should take sin seriously. I think one of the things Luke shows us as he follows up this story of Ananias and Sapphira is that sometimes, sometimes the greatest fruit comes after the hardest things. Like more than ever souls were added. Did, Did you just say last week at church two people died? Yes. It's weird. Here's a Hill City, get ears, ears up, ears up, okay? Here's our greatest, what I think one of our greatest temptations will be. To not confront sin. So let me ask you this, Hill City Church, do you believe this? Have we experienced God's favor? Rhetorical, of course we have. We're a church that's not even four years old. Tons of people coming to faith. We baptize tons of people. We, we, we've got 10 people already going to be baptized in March. I'm going to say we're probably going to be up around 12 to 14 before that's all said and done. We have experienced God's favor and grace. I hope you understand that. We are a growing church. There's buzz in this city about our church. There's buzz on your campus about your ministry in this church. Something is going on here. That's a fact. We have experienced the grace of God. What do we do when sin rears its ugly head? Like, now what? Oh man, like, if, if we confront this, people might leave. And if, if we confront this sin and people get wind of it, like we, we may not have as many visitors if they find out that we deal with this. Like if, we, if we confront this, like what? But they could go to a different college ministry because Lord knows they have a plethora to choose from. If we confront sin and the temptation is going to be Let's just avoid it. Let's just avoid any kind of confrontation. Because here's the reality, guys. Before Ananias and Sapphira, before two people dropped dead, man, was the Lord doing something? 120, 3,000, day by day, 5,000. That's pre-Ananias and Sapphira. He was moving. The Spirit was moving. Things were happening. Now look what it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 33. It says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now look, look at this phrase. And great grace was upon them all. Now I just told you, God's grace is on this place. I wholeheartedly believe that. Now, do you want to know how to turn off the faucet. Or I would even maybe 
say, the, the hydrant of the flow of God's grace. You want to know how to turn that off? Just become a companion with the sin that Jesus became on the cross. See, they knew that here. Like, you want God's grace to be shut off? Avoid all confrontation when it comes to sin. Now listen, I told you this, and I, I'm going to circle back with this a couple times. I want to make sure you're not hearing something that I am not saying. This place is full of sinners. Okay, so when I say become a companion, here's what I mean by that. I don't mean that you have to be perfect and that you're never going to sin again. That is not going to happen. Okay, here's what I'm saying. When you become a companion with sin, it is continuous in your life and it's unrepentant. That's what I mean. When sin is continuous and unrepentant, it's like, yeah, I do that, so what? I follow. I mean, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm guilty, whatever. You're guilty of something, too. I'm guilty, you're guilty, we're all guilty, so really none of us are guilty. Listen, I'm concerned about that. Can I just be honest with you? That concerns me for our church. One of our greatest temptations will be to not confront sin. One of our greatest temptations will be to want the culture to love us so much that we value pleasing them over pleasing God. Now hear me. If you've been here very long, you know what this church is about. You know how we're going to operate. We will be a church for this city. We will bless this community. We're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this community. We're going to serve this community, but we are not going to do all that at the expense of pleasing this community over pleasing God because this community, our culture, is not our authority. Jesus Christ is. Okay? Listen to me. This is huge. If we do not confront sin and we seek to please our community or please this culture over pleasing God, our church will be dead before your kids have kids. Europe proves this to us. I don't have time to go into it. You can look it up. Churches all over Europe are museums and pubs. Churches where the gospel was once proclaimed, where sin was once dealt with, and now they are museums. We have to confront sin, even if culture doesn't like it. Now, listen, this is huge, right? Because some of you got this thing in you, you're wired this way, and you're like, all right, so I've been waiting on. And you're like, let's go, I want to go pick a fight. Okay, if, if, if that's your heart, you are in sin. That's not what I'm talking about. Confronting sin is not picking a fight. Here's, here's what confronting sin looks like in this church. Okay, one way, discipleship. Right, you got a brother or sister in Christ, right? And they're like, man, man, maybe there is this sin and maybe it's continuous and unrepentant, but, and they just can't figure out how to get victory. 
And you grab them. You put your arm on their shoulder. You say, let's go. Let's do discipleship time. How about just counseling for some of you? It's just that you, we, we offer some counseling. We're going to continue to bolster our counseling services in this church. Why? Because we want to help people confront sin. We have addiction groups in this church. Why? Because we want people to confront and we want to help them. Okay, now listen. Here's what that means. You, Hill City member, Hill City regular attender, whatever you are, you don't get to do drive-by confrontations of sin. Okay, listen. That's cowardly. And it's lazy and it's sin. Because here, here's what's not cowardly. Here's what's not lazy. Building a relationship with somebody. Spending time with them. Understanding their past. Understanding their struggles. And then together locking arms with them and helping them win. Okay? So we are not going to do drive-by confrontations. If that spirit boils up in you, then you need to repent of that. This church, this new church that we see in Acts, they took sin seriously, and we should too. What else did they do? They relied on this new authority, specifically the spirit of this new authority, more specifically the Holy Spirit of God. Go back to Acts chapter 4, verse 30. I'm going to read this. I don't think I have a slide for it. But check out what they prayed, okay? They're talking to God, and they're like, hey, I mean, they're praying. I mean, they remember they were, they were just caught and threatened, and then they came back and rejoiced, and they started praying. And they're like, hey, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They're praying for these things. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and con continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, why do we read that from chapter 4? Because I want us to pay attention to what they prayed because that prayer was answered in chapter 5. But listen, the, the heart of their prayer was this. They knew that they had to have a movement of the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what they prayed for. Listen, no amount of strategic planning was going to do what they knew had to be done. No, there was not even the right, most talented worship leader that they could have come up on their stage to sing, to get done what needed to be done. There was not expensive enough coffee to put out in their lobby to get done what was going to need to be done. They knew it had to be a movement of the Spirit of God. So they went to the only one who had authority that could accomplish the task at hand, and they prayed for it. Hill City Church, what are you praying for? How are you praying? Because this group was desperate, and they prayed like they were desperate. Are we praying like we desperately need a movement of God? We should be. So they prayed in chapter 4. Chapter 5, it's answered. Look at this. And now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people. What did they pray for in chapter 4? For that. Now check this out. 
on down to verse like 15, so that even so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them in cots and mats, that as, P- as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So it takes us to this kind of weird thing that we got to talk about, okay? We've we got to go there today. Because they prayed for this, and then it happened that these signs and wonders were done. So much so that the streets were lined with people who were sick. You hear that signs and wonders. And if you grew up in church very much, maybe a, a specifically more conservative churches, your mind is like, wait a minute, I know what Jesus said about that. In Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 16, he's like, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. That's what Jesus said. But then all of a sudden we get to Acts, and now you got the, this group of people who they're not evil and adulterous, and they're praying for this. That confuses me. Me too. But let's look at what wasn't prayed for in Acts chapter 4. The heart of their prayer wasn't, hey, God, prove yourself. Then we will follow you. Oh God, you got to do this thing. You do some cool stuff to prove that you have that authority, then we're in. That wasn't the heart of their prayer. That's evil. They knew Jesus had that authority. And they prayed that these things would be done through the name of Jesus. So for you, listen, I hope that your prayer isn't ever, hey, hey, God, I need you to do this or I won't believe. I need you to do this thing or I will believe. What thing? Well, this thing that I, that, that I need you to do this. And it's not that you're asking for this thing to be done. What your heart's really asking for is I want you, God, to do it this thing the way I want it and the way I think it should be done. And then I will believe in you, God. That's evil. here's the reality no you won't if God did it exactly the way you said it and you think oh then I will believe in you if you would do that God no you won't I've seen this play out you would just ask him to do something else on top of it because I need you to double prove it especially if you're a Missourian because you're from the show me state So I don't want you to get in this, I don't want you to fall into this sort of way of thinking where it's just like, man, I just, I just really want to experience those things from Acts. And then it's like, man, that would just really sure up my faith. Or maybe, maybe that's not, you're like, well, I'm not, that's, that's not what I do. But maybe it's like, maybe you're praying like, Lord, I know that if you would just do this, my, my parents would believe. No, they wouldn't. And listen, if, if that's you and you really have a bent toward this sort of signs and wonders and miracles thing, you're just like, man, I just really want to experience what happened in Acts. And, and, and listen, you need to probably hear this today, and I, this is just as, as honest as I can be with you. Signs and wonders and miracles don't save anyone. Signs and wonders and miracles are not the power of God unto salvation. 
Paul writes this, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, that's the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The goal isn't and never was that people believed in signs and wonders. We want people to believe in Jesus. Now let me talk to another group of you, right? Because there's also a common belief, and it's likely in the room, where you think there's no such thing as a miracle. You're like, I don't, we shouldn't even really be praying for that because that's, the, the Lord doesn't do that anymore. Let me ask you this. And let me just talk to the parents. Most of you are back there. If your kid gets sick, and I mean sick, Are you going to go to the Lord and ask him to supernaturally move in and do something to heal your child? Okay, here's what you need to know. I will. If it's my kid, I will. Furthermore, if it's your kid, I will. Because I'm going to say something. Let me finish this thought before, before you throw shoes or your Bibles at me, okay? Because we're looking at, like, should we pray for signs and wonders? What are we looking for when signs and wonders? And here's what I think the answer is. This is what I would ask for Hill City Church. Yes. But here's what I mean by that. An indisputable demonstration of the authority and the power of God. I think we should pray for that. Okay, college students, you know what we did Thursday night? We looked over campus, and we put our hands toward campus, some of us, but all of us faced campus. And you know what we did? We prayed for an indisputable demonstration of the authority and power of God. Because nothing is going to happen on that campus that's going to be worth talking about in 10 years if, if, if it's not an indisputable uh, demonstration of the authority and power of God. We should be praying for that. Right, so, so we can plan and do all the stuff we want to do, but I want Hill City Church to start praying for indisputable demonstrations of the authority and the power of God. Listen to me. We won't have a building if we don't start praying like that because the numbers don't add up. We've got to start praying for that. That's what I mean by when I think, yeah, do I think we should pray for signs and wonders in that sense? Yes, I do. Say, so, Brad, I don't, I don't know about this, but... I don't even know what you mean by that, indisputable, whatever. Okay, here, here, here's what I mean, okay? Do you believe that God could show indisputable demonstrations of his power? Do you believe that? I hope you do, and I hope you're praying for that. If you're unsure what that looks like in this context, I can, with a lot of confidence, say it's likely Never going to happen that you're going to see a guy that was crippled from birth stand up and, and start doing CrossFit. Okay? But listen to me. Let me give you an example of what this could look like. Somebody in this room hasn't forgiven someone. And you can't find it in your heart to forgive someone. And the reason is because you were hurt too badly. And there's just no possible way you could get yourself to a point where you could forgive someone. There is no possible way that is unless God shows up and does an indisputable demonstration of his power and authority and then you can finally forgive somebody. That's how I want you to pray. 
Some of you, your marriages are over. Like, I know you haven't filed the paperwork because you're a good Christian, but functionally, you have no marriage. And the only possible way this thing ever works out and that your family isn't destroyed and that you don't just repeat a cycle of your mom and your dad and your grandma and grandpa is if God does an indisputable demonstration of his power and authority. That's what you need to pray for. It's your only hope. Some of you have somebody in your family, maybe you know somebody, and in your mind right now, and it's not even unreasonable that you would go here and be, in your mind, you're like, there is no possible way. I know this person too well. There's no possible way this person ever follows Jesus. Like, Brad, you don't know this guy. There's no way he ever follows Jesus. You are correct. Without an indisputable demonstration of the power and authority of God, you are correct. Now listen, don't let this be lost on you. The only reason you follow Jesus is because there was an indisputable demonstration of the power and authority of Jesus. You are saved and you believe because of Jesus, not because of you. You did not find God. He was never lost. You were lost and he found you. So here we are in this new church, the indisputable demonstration of this authority and power emboldened these followers. They knew God was with them. They knew that he was their authority. So they had a boldness in speaking Jesus. See, here's what happened. All these people lined the streets. And here comes these bigwigs again, these Sadducees, these Pharisees, these super religious people. And they're hot. So they grab them. Like, what are you doing? You're teaching and preaching this name again. Go to jail. We'll deal with you tomorrow. So they send them to jail. Well, guess what? An angel of the Lord comes, unlocks, lets them out, locks it back. Okay, which is kind of funny because I don't know if you know this about the Sadducees or not, but this is God's sense of humor. Sadducees didn't even believe in angels. They locked these guys up. What's God do? Angel, go let them out. It's crazy. And it's not that this angel gets them out of prison. He's like, hey, Go back and speak all the words of life. Now think about this just for a minute. Okay, go back and do what exactly got you thrown in this jail in the first place, all right? Butt tap. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what the disciples did? You know what they, they did it. What's going on here? Like, These miracles are happening. People being healed. Angels of the Lord coming, letting dudes out of prison. They were praying in chapter 4, and the place where they were praying was shaken. Now listen, you might be in this room, and I want to go here just quickly before we move on into the text. You might be in this room, and you might just have this thing in you like, man, I just really want to experience those things. I've never been in a room when it was shaking, when people, I want to experience, I want to see somebody who has been lame, I want to see all that, and I want you to know this this morning, this is huge, because what you lack, what I lack in those types of experiences that we read about here, listen, we read about here, what we lack in those, we get right here. Now hear me. There was no such thing as this when Peter was preaching the gospel. Okay, if if, if Peter wanted to go to coffee ethic and do his little Bible study, like he might have been able to take the Torah and the scroll of Isaiah, 
which would have meant about 35 pounds on this arm and about another 35 pounds, and he's going to stroll, stroll into ethic, flop them down on a table, unroll them to 27 feet long, which is about how wide coffee ethic is anyway. <laughs> and that's how he's going to, listen, this didn't exist. And right now in this second, listen, in this second, Every one of you that has a smartphone could go download 430 English versions of the Word of God. You tell me there, there's no miracles? Listen, if the apostles walked in this place and we said, yeah, we actually have 430 Bible versions at the tip of our fingers, they would go, why do you want to see a dude stand up and walk? You have that? That's a miracle. Trade you. We can never say that we did not get what the apostles got. Can't say that. We have the word of God. So these guys get caught. Back to the text. These guys get caught, verse 17 through 42. We don't have time to read it all. These guys get caught, right? And it says these leaders are enraged. Like they're filled with jealousy. Previously, they threatened them. Now these guys are doing it again. They're filled with jealousy. And they're told by this angel, go speak all the words of life. Let me circle back to the first one introductory sermon here. You can't give people the words of life, a.k.a. the gospel, without speaking. The angel didn't say, go live the words of life. Go live the gospel, and then when it's necessary, use those words. That doesn't work. It's always necessary. They went and spoke the words of life. And the bigwigs came out, and they saw it again. And they're like, no. Here are these guys. They went. They obeyed. They had courage like most of us could never imagine. They went back out, speak the words of life, and they're captured again. You got to quit preaching in this name. To which they answered. Now, this is huge. We can't. Because we must obey God rather than obey man. And they preached the gospel. Think about that for a minute. This is Peter, who literally months ago, that's not that long ago, months ago blatantly denied Jesus. And now, standing before the most powerful people on the planet, and he's like, I can't do what you're telling me to do because i got to obey God. Now listen. I don't think in my lifetime, but maybe I'm missing this, I just don't think practically in my lifetime that I'm ever going to get thrown in jail or I'm going to get in trouble in the United States of America for preaching Christ crucified and risen. I don't think that's going to happen in the United States. But hear me, it's going on all over the world right now. Brothers and sisters. Now think of that. Some of you don't even like to think about people from other countries being your brother and your sister, but that's just a fact from the Word of God. Brothers and sisters all over the world right now are choosing to obey God rather than man, and it's costing them their lives. This is going on in China. This is going on in North Korea. This is going on in Afghanistan. It's going on in Somalia. I can keep going. They're dying because they have courage like most of us in this room only dream of. 
Peter's like, we're not, we're not going to stop because we've got to obey God. And what do you think the leader said? Oh, okay, finally, we give up. You're going to do it. No, no, no. They were ticked, and they were full of jealousy. Now, there was one guy in the room, Gamaliel. He speaks up, and he kind of sounds like he has some wisdom. We're going to talk about him. Remember him. Because let me tell you who he is just real quick. He's, he's the Yoda of the Pharisees. Okay, like, like you have like rabbi, but Gamaliel was like rabbi of the rabbis, man. Like this, this, this dude was it. And you remember him. And he tells them all, chill out. If these guys aren't who they say they are, it's going to go away. And here's what happens. The leaders, they're so ticked off. Because remember, they threatened him last time. Now this time, look at verse 40. Look at chapter 5, verse 40. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. Now, if you look up that word beat, what it really, the literal definition or the literal word that's used there is scourged. Okay, listen to me. This isn't, hey, bring out Brutus the Pharisee and let him take an uppercut to the ribs and then you walk out of here, you'll feel that tomorrow. Okay, this is 39 smacks on the back that would have ripped flesh away. Okay, this is a beating like none of us have ever experienced, likely. Now, let me tell you one of the most insane things that I could tell you. This happened to them, and they walk away rejoicing. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. How is this possible? How is this even real? Listen, there was a movement of the Spirit of God that indwelled these men and women that gave them courage that they did not even know that they had. And that same Spirit is available to you and it's available to me. Where is our courage? Which takes me to this word. We use this word a lot, encouraged, yeah? It's a common word in the English language. We encourage. So here's what we need to know. Because if you remember in chapter 4 when they were threatened, that they went back to their friends and told them. In other words, they had a community of like-minded people in which they were doing mission with. And then here, after a beating, it says, then they left the presence. You have this community. Look at me. If you are truly on mission, okay, and I'm not talking like you come to church three Sundays out of the year. I'm talking about when you are on mission, when you're doing what God has called you to do in your life, you must have a community of people doing the same thing or you will get eaten alive. Get yourself around a community of people where the Spirit is in all of them, and that is what will bind you together. And then listen to me, when the beating of ministry comes, guess what? You run back to that community and get 
encouraged. In other words, gain more courage. Why? To go back out and do it again. Who encourages you? Man, I hope it's somebody. Now listen, if your ministry and your mission in your life is just to build this happy little family and you just kind of tuck away in your house and you want to have some cute kids that, that dress really nice and you just want to just get that white picket fence and like that's your deal, you don't need anybody else to encourage you because that doesn't really take courage. I'm talking about mission, the call of God on your life. You've got to have people around you that encourages you. 